0: I had no idea this was the send-off Sunday for the Martins, but uh, what a privilege to be a part of that. So uh, I can still remember both of them uh, ministering at St. Andrews, and uh, my son was actually in the youth group at the time when Michael was serving, so uh, thankful for his ministry uh, as well. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verses uh, 22 through 33. I'm going to read that for us and then we're going to pray. Starting in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. The Lord, uh, we need to hear from you this morning many of us come with troubled hearts, heavy laden, burdened, Lord would you minister through your word by your spirit, give us a sense of hope, a renewed sense of hope and encouragement in the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray this in his name, amen. Recently my wife spoke at a women's retreat at a church here in town on the northeast side of Columbia. And as she was preparing for those talks, uh, she made the comment to me in passing that, um, I feel like I'm just telling these women what they already know about God. And that kind of struck me we, as we talked about those things. Uh, it struck me that, you know, we say a lot of things that we believe to be true about God. But when the storms of life hit, we find out we really don't believe those things, or at least we have more unbelief in our hearts than we would care to admit. Dane Ortland, in his book Deeper, uh, uses the analogy of two circles uh, one circle representing uh, theology we say we believe, we profess. Maybe we profess outward to the church. And then another circle that's actually what we believe in our hearts at any given moment. And as believers, there's overlap of those two circles. But we're constantly growing and striving for those two circles to be over top of one another. But oftentimes there's a gap. And I don't know what storms of life you're facing right now. You may feel like your hope is sinking due to your circumstances, your unbelief. But usually what I find is unbelief hits on two fronts. There's two questions that I want to talk about from this passage regarding the Lord Jesus. The first question is this is Jesus able to help me? Whatever your circumstance is. And the second question, is he willing to help me? I think we can boil down a lot of our unbelief to those two questions. Is he able and is he willing? And I think our text this morning answers those two questions on those two fronts. Uh, and I've entitled this, Hope for Sinking Sinners. And the first question, is Jesus able? And this really gets to at who he really is. But let's take a step back and, and appreciate the context here. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And he tells his, people, his disciples to get into the boat and head across the Sea of Galilee and to, uh, to the other side while he dismisses the crowds. Then the text tells us that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, by himself, alone in the night. Probably for a number of hours, actually. You know, I find it amazing that the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, needed to pray. Have you ever thought about that? Why in the world would he need to pray? He didn't need to pray because he was a sinner. We know that. He was without sin. But he needed to pray because he was a human being. Fully human. Even as, at the same time, he is full deity as creator. He really lived out what he taught his disciples when he told them in Matthew 6, uh, go to your father in secret and ask him for help and he will reward you in secret jesus did that he wasn't just pretending to pray he actually prayed and just as a passing point by way of application i mean how much more do we need to pray as sinners and human beings who are dependent fully upon our creator Do you get alone with God? Do you spend time in secret with your Heavenly Father who rewards in secret? On this occasion, we might ask, what what prompted Jesus to pray? And what did He pray about? Well, John's gospel account of this event tells us a little bit more detail. We get a glimpse into perhaps why he prayed and what he prayed for, after he fed the 5,000, the people started to say, hey, this is the prophet that was to come into the world, the one like Moses. And the text tells us that they actually were going to force him to be king, to make him king over them. And it's like Jesus says, okay, you guys, get in the boat and go across the water. I'll dismiss the crowds and deal with this. And how he dealt with it was by praying. They wanted to make him king after their own making and their own idea and agenda. But Jesus sought his father to stay on mission. To stay on the mission that the father had laid out for him. So Jesus was praying while his disciples were in the storm as we'll see. And I have no doubt in my mind that not only was Jesus praying about his mission in light of the the attempt to sort of derail that or veer him off his path, I have no doubt also that Jesus prayed for his disciples. Just like he did in John 17. I think Jesus was praying for his disciples prior to going out on the water to them. So let's continue with the story in verse 24. Uh, meanwhile, while this is taking place, the disciples are in the storm. They're in the middle of the sea, probably three miles or so from shore, right out in the middle. And there's a strong storm raging with great wind and waves against them. And judging by the times that are given in the text, they may have been battling this storm for about nine hours can you believe that was Jesus even aware of their situation did he care or had he forgotten them already and busy with other stuff you know these are the kinds of questions we ask in the storm about the lord jesus well sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus walks out onto the sea. And this, this is a well-known passage, but I, I guarantee you this packs much more punch than we often realize. In particular, who Jesus is. The original audience, and especially Matthew's reading audience, with a Jewish background, this to that audience, this, this event would have would have evoked all kinds of truths and passages from the Old Testament which speak of the ability and the actions of the Lord, Yahweh. We read in the book of Job, chapter 9, that God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. He has mastery over creation. Even the waves of the sea. And then in other texts, speaking more of the redemptive work of God, especially looking back on the Exodus event, we read things like in Habakkuk 3, you, Yahweh, trampled the sea when you saved your people out of Egypt. Psalm 77, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters yet your footprints were unseen. In the more poetic texts from the Old Testament, like Job and some of the prophets, the sea and all of its waves and churning is used as a symbol, a symbol for chaos, evil, and even death in some of those poetic texts. You know, the wicked are depicted like the tossing sea. Or even in the book of Jude, the false teachers are are like wild waves upon the sea. That's why I think in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, when it says, when it depicts the glorified new heavens and new earth state, the sea was no more. No more evil, no more chaos, no more death. So Jesus' walking on the water not only demonstrated his power as creator over the waves of the sea, it also symbolized his mastery over sin and death. These are things only God can do. As one writer put it, he walks only where God is able to walk. You know, Jesus' miracles are not just random displays of power, like He's doing magi- you know, magician tricks to wow the people. Rather, as one put it, they are living sermons about the nature and purpose of His saving work, ultimately culminating in His death and resurrection, which we'll be remembering and celebrating in a few moments. So Jesus walks out on the sea. What was their response of the disciples? We read that when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. That got me thinking, how often do we see our circumstances, the storms that we're in, as only having sinister things at work in them? You know, how, how often do we live in fear, worry, and anxiety, as if everything is just unstable? Have you ever felt that way, that life is just unstable everywhere you turn? Whether you turn on the news, uh, you're dealing with stuff at work, uh, you're dealing with family issues, financial issues, let alone our own sin issues. I mean, everything just seems like churning chaos What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me next? What about our sins? You know, surely Satan and his demons and the unbelieving world just sift me like wheat. What chance do I have in the face of all this opposition? Do you feel that way now? In your place in life? They're fearful. What was Jesus' response to their fear? Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. These are wonderful words. He begins with the phrase, It is I. In the original language, the same phrase is rendered, I am. And it's tr- translated so in many other significant texts. Though on the surface, it, this is just a normal way of speaking. Hey, it is, it is I. But considering the context, some of those Old Testament texts we already refer- referenced, and the fact that he's walking on the water to them, this phrase is packed with the weight of God's distinctive self-revelation. Think about... Exodus 3.14, the burning bush, I am, the I am sent you to Pharaoh. Or in John's gospel, the I am sayings of Christ and all the connections there to his deity. In other words, when Jesus says, it is I to the disciples in the storm, he's not just saying, hey guys, it's me. Don't you recognize me? He's saying, it is I, the I am, and I'm here. Do not be afraid. You know, when we're in the storm of our lives, whatever that may be for you, it's easy to think, Jesus is far off from me. He's left me all alone. I have to just deal with this on my own. This text reminds us that it's in the midst of the storm that Jesus reveals himself to us. Not just at the end when the storm's over, which he does still the storm in this case, but while the storm is raging, he is revealing. He's coming to them and he's revealing himself. He uses the storm as his pathway though his footprints are unseen. How might might he be revealing himself to you in the midst of your storm? Even now. Then he says those great glorious words, do not be afraid. Think about how many times he said those words throughout the Gospels. To those who were scared, to those who were weeping, over loss of a loved one, to those who are feeling the guilt even of their own sin. I think of Peter in the great catch of fish, when he recognizes, he starts to recognize who he's standing in front of, and he says, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Jesus tells him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be a fisher of men. He is the best and most logical reason to not be afraid. I think that's why we read passages that tell us be still and know that I am God. Do you know He's God? Like all families, our family has been through its share of storms. And I've had a number of Christian friends tell us from time to time, you know, don't worry. God's got this. He's got this. You know, our response to a statement like that can be really revealing where our hearts are. And what we really believe about God, about Christ. If you find yourself saying in answer to those those comments, yeah, but you don't really understand how bad things are. Or, you know, that just that's that's vacation Bible school talk, you know. That's something we teach our kids in the in their songs or whatever. But that's not how the real world works. You ever said those kind of things? In response to that, we need to remember that Jesus is coming to us in the storm, on the water, as God. As God, not merely a creature. You see, He's supernatural. Do you believe that? He tramples the waves of the sea. Maybe you think to yourself, in the midst of your storm, nothing in the whole world could help me in my situation. That's no problem. God's bigger than the world. He's the creator of the world. When you see your circumstances and you feel the discouragement set in, and you're tempted to say, you know, why should I trouble the teacher any longer? Hear the words of Jesus, do not fear, only believe. It is I, do not be afraid. Surely he is able to help you, regardless of what your situation is. This brings us to the second question that's often raised in our unbelief. Is he willing? Okay, he's able out there somewhere, but is he willing to help me? Does he even want to? Verse 28 and 29, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water to you. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So far, so good. I mean, Peter's basically saying, since it's you, you just told us who you are. I want to come out to you. I want to be with you. In the midst of this storm. I think this is a real moment of faith for Peter. He wanted to be with Jesus. And how far he got is unclear from the text. But we know things quickly changed. As we read. But when he saw the wind. He was afraid. And beginning to sink he cried out. Lord save me. He took his eyes off Jesus. Started looking all around himself, seeing all the chaos, all the turmoil, and the fear set in. Isn't that true of us? Isn't it true that we often look around ourselves and we look at all the things that are wrong and all the things that are impossible and all the reasons why it'll never work out? All we can see is the storm and the howling wind. We fix our eyes on everything but Jesus, and we begin to sink. But if you think about it, it wasn't just the wind and the waves that caused Peter to sink. It was unbelief that Jesus could help them in the face of those things. I found this insightful. One commentator observed here that discipleship is endangered more by unbelief than outward circumstances. Discipleship is endangered more by unbelief than outward circumstances. That's our biggest problem. It's not the waves. It's not the wind. It's our unbelief we really don't believe Jesus is who He says He is. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out His hand and took hold of Him, saying to Him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I want us to see here in the words of Jesus that this is not a harsh rebuke. Sometimes we can perceive it that way. As if, he his his heart was really that, you know, here's Peter messing up again, and you know what? I'd really rather let him sink to the bottom and teach him a lesson for being such a faithless fool. Have you ever thought those things about the Lord Jesus in the midst of your struggle? I don't know how many of you took swimming lessons as a kid, or your kids took swimming lessons, Um, there's many different methods of swimming lessons. I don't know which you experienced. There's one method, I call it the sink or swim method. Maybe you went through that method, (laughs) where the basic idea is throw them in the water and uh, let their survival instincts take over, you know, sink or swim, you know. They'll figure it out. That might work, but it's pretty traumatic. And then there's the more gentle method. Maybe you experience this, where you're, the, the instructor is in the pool with the child. Sort of hands are right underneath, guiding them along, maybe letting them do it for a little while, but if they start to sink, they pull them back up. I'm making no judgment call here on the best way to do swimming lessons, but... In light of those examples, Jesus' method is gentle with his children, with his brothers and sisters. He is gentle. Contrary to what the enemy would tempt you to believe. And he's always attacking that. Be prepared for that. He's always wanting you to think, Jesus doesn't care about you. He's really frustrated with you. He'd rather not have you at all. Scriptures tell us that he's gentle. He's lowly of heart. And I think the context itself shows us that he is compassionately, gently dealing with sinking sinners. Like Peter, like you and me as we struggle in our unbelief and struggle with little faith as I said earlier he probably prayed for them when he was alone he's just said here explicitly he doesn't want them to fear he's not trying to terrify them he wants them to know that he's got it he's God and he when Peter's starts to falter, he grabs him immediately and rescues him. Just like you as a father or a parent when your child's learning to walk and they stumble and you grab them. You don't kick their legs out. You grab them. You hold them. He is patient with us as we struggle and grow in our faith. You know, Few chapters earlier, Jesus stilled a storm. He's already done this. Do you remember that when he's asleep in the boat in the storm? And don't you care about us? You know that we're we're going to die here. And Jesus calms a storm. Says, "You have little faith." You know he could have just said, "Here, you know, I've already showed you this. Don't you get it? I've had enough with you." But he doesn't. He deals gently with his disciples, and he deals gently with you. And as I said, here again, he steps into the boat and he stills the storm. You see, Jesus doesn't just calm the storm, he gets in the boat with them. Jesus is saying to you this morning, I will come to you in the storm. I will reveal myself to you. I will walk on the water to be with you and I will get in the boat with you and take you to the other side. You know, in in the book of John, Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? What about you? Have you been with Jesus so long yet you still do not know Him and trust Him as as He's revealed Himself? Is He able? Surely He's able. He's the Son of God. Is He willing? He certainly is. His heart is willing to rescue sinking sinners like you and me. Will you believe it? Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this reminder from this passage. Lord, we confess our unbelief. Help our unbelief. I pray for each one here, whatever they're going through, that they would remember that you are God that you trample the waves of the sea. You rescue us when we falter. You pray for us. And you love us. May that be a great encouragement to your people this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.